Welcome to Humble Beginnings, a podcast where we uncover the unconventional, more relatable path to success. In this show, we'll share the stories before the C-suites, board memberships, and appointments, the stories of various upbringings, first jobs, career pivots, educational uncertainties, and more. This is the place to hear about their lives from the GovCon executives themselves. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Humble Beginnings. I'm your host, Amanda Ziede, and joining me today to co-host is Mark Young, Managing Partner of Executive Advisory Firm Northwind Partners. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing well. Thanks for allowing me to join you, Amanda. Of course, of course. Thanks for joining. And we're excited to be joined by our guest, Todd Sotomayor, CEO of Accenture Health and longtime technology and healthcare executive. Thank you so much for being here today to share your story with us, Todd. Great. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Mark. Great to be with you. So I typically start with asking about your upbringing and family life, but I'd love to first ask about your father, as I know his background influenced your perspective a lot. So tell us a bit about how your dad grew up and how his educational and professional path impacted you as, as a, at a young age. Sure. Yeah, my dad grew up in, in southern Pennsylvania during the Depression and, and World War II. Um, neither of his parents finished high school. After he graduated from high school, my dad enlisted in the Army as a private, and he served three years and was honorably discharged as a corporal. After the Army, my dad took advantage of a wonderful opportunity provided by the GI Bill to become the first person ever in his family to attend and graduate from college. And the Army also had a very profound impact on my dad's view of civil rights. Um, you know, he simply didn't understand how someone who served in the Army with him would be forced to sit in a different part of a restaurant or use a different restroom or use a different water fountain simply because of the color of their skin. And it was really, that was a profound thing for my dad because as I said, he became a real active civil rights leader. After my dad graduated from college, he again used the GI Bill to work through a master's and doctorate program in international relations, which led to a career in the U.S. Foreign Service at the U.S. State Department the U.S. mission in New York and the United Nations. My dad also became a very active civil rights leader during the 1960s. Um, you know, I would say because of my dad's very humble upbringing, uh, he's always emphasized to me the importance of hard work and perseverance, as well, I think very importantly, respect for everyone. His experience at the United Nations exposed me to people from many countries and, and really gave me a great appreciation for different cultures, and I'm really grateful for this. All right. Wonderful. And I understand, Todd, you grew up just outside New York City. So what was that like for you and your siblings at the time? What kind of things were you into, activities, lifestyle? Tell us a bit about that. I grew up in southern Westchester County, just a, just a few miles from downtown uh, Manhattan. Um, we lived in a duplex without a yard, so uh, most sports were played on the streets, including touch football, which turned into be tackle football. Um, I started playing baseball at a very young age and then played for the local Pop Warner football team in East Chester, New York. I loved the camaraderie of playing team sports and decided in the eighth grade that I wanted to earn a scholarship to play uh, football in college, which I ultimately did. Um, I also remember starting to read the New York Times at a very young age and would often compete with my dad to read the paper uh, before he did. You know, I can say, you know, growing up in New York, I had everything I needed and wanted, a football, a baseball glove, uh, a bat, and a ball. Um, obviously, life was a lot simpler back then, and uh, having those uh, that football, baseball, glove, bat, and ball was all I needed, so I, was, I had a really great upbringing in New York. Awesome. No iPad or 
No iPad, no iPhone, <laughs> no internet, nothing of the sort. It was real simple. I had a football, baseball, baseball glove and bat and ball. So that was it. That's awesome. And I understand your dad also instilled in you um, a value for hard work. And this kind of ties back to the New York Times. What was your very first job and, and what did it teach you at such a young age about hard work? Yeah, my dad, because of his, his family, they, they weren't a means at all. In fact, we're, we're very poor. Um, he started working at a very young age to support his family, including uh, picking peaches in the peach orchards of uh, southern Pennsylvania. Because of this, my dad was determined that I would learn the value of hard work. And uh, when I was very young, this usually meant you know working for him on Saturdays as we went about doing various repairs to our home, car, and anything else my dad thought needed to work. Jobs that he thought wouldn't take much time often ended up taking hours uh, to complete. But I did learn a lot from him on those Saturdays. Uh, when I was 13, my dad decided I needed a real job. And the job required me to be up well before the sun came up and, and walk into town to carry the bundles of the various sections of the New York Times into the town stationery store and then spend the next six to eight hours assembling the Sunday New York Times for purchase. Um, I was paid, you know, I think a dollar fifty an hour, maybe less than that. Uh, I got a free lunch in New York. A sub was called a wedge. I got a wedge at the end of the day. Um, I also needed an immediate shower uh, after I was done because I was covered in black ink uh, from assembling the paper. So I like to say my first job was an assembly line job, putting together the Sunday New York Times uh, for sale on Sunday morning. That's awesome. You seem to have carried that work ethic till this day, Todd. So kudos to your dad for, uh, for, for instilling that in you. As a young teen, you led your first political campaign in New York City, which sounds like it helped kickstart an interest in politics. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was actually the town where I grew up in Bronxville, just outside New York City. Um, the town was really built out, and, and so there was very little open space. But there was one open space known as the Rock Pile, uh, where a lot of us kids, myself a kid at the time, played and explored. The town had decided to um, develop it and put in, a, in multi-tenant housing. So I, along with some other very audacious 13-year-olds, uh, led a petition to put the issue to a referendum in the town. And we actually went out and we organized and we went door to door and got signatures. You know, we started this campaign that was eventually supported by several key adults to save open space in the town. Uh, we got on the ballot and we won. And it really, uh, I remember the local paper reported this was started by a bunch of 13-year-old kids who wanted a place to play <laughs> other than playing in the streets. And uh, we were successful. So that was my first political campaign. It was a successful campaign and had a lot of fun at it. That's fantastic. Is that rock pile still there, Todd, or has it been developed since then? As far as I know, you know, I went up several years ago with my family. We went to the town where I grew up and it was still there. It had not been developed. So that space had been preserved. And in this town, they probably haven't built a new home in, in 50 years. So there's no place to build, you know, whether single family homes or townhouses or apartments or or condominiums. So as far as I know, the space is still open space because of this uh, referendum in 1976 that a bunch of 13-year-olds led. Oh, man, that's fantastic. So there was another moment uh, during your childhood that solidified that interest in politics as well. And ironically, it was on a trip to William & Mary where you would later end up attending undergrad. Talk, talk to us about that trip. Yeah, every year is um, the eighth grade class at my school travel from New York in October for a week in Williamsburg to visit the colonial capital. And the last day of my eighth grade trip was the day that then President Ford debated then Governor Carter at Phi Beta Kappa Hall 
on the campus uh, of William and Mary. Now, the town was full of excitement because of the impending presidential uh, debate with you know, Governor Carter and President Ford coming to the small city of Williamsburg. You know, I had a chance to go on to William and Mary's campus during the week that we were there, and I really fell in love with the beauty of the campus and also the history of the city and the university. Uh, President Washington, President uh, Jefferson, President Monroe, President Tyler, all got their education at William & Mary. So that was pretty exciting. The the campus is beautiful and the history is really something that uh, uh, no other place has. Uh, The trip became a truly special one with the buses um, carrying 115 eighth graders back to New York actually stopped at the White House. And our teachers hustled, they hustled us out of the buses and through security at the White House onto the White House lawn to participate in a departure ceremony as President Ford left Washington, D.C. to fly to Williamsburg to debate Governor Carter. And President Ford, he worked the rope lines on the White House lawn. And eighth graders, we got a chance to shake his hand. And obviously, that was a very, very cool experience. I later learned that the father of one of my classmates, uh, former congressman and U.S. Senator Charlie Goodell from New York, had arranged all this. He happened to be Jerry Ford's best friend when they served in the House. Kind of as an interesting aside, my classmate's brother, is Roger Goodell, uh, the current commissioner of the National Football League. So it was Roger's father who had arranged this chance for a bunch of eighth graders, you know, 13-year-olds, to meet the president of the United States as he left Washington, D.C. to go to Williamsburg to debate Governor Carter. And needless to say, that, that trip to Williamsburg was, when you, you know, the Williamsburg trip and the trip to Washington, D.C., that was a memorable one for somebody who's 13 years old. Absolutely. What a cool way to to kind of inspire the young generation to join public service later in life. If I were 13 and I got to visit the White House, I think that would be really awesome. <laughs> well, the neat, the neat thing was later in life, I actually got a chance to be with President Ford again. And I told him, you would never remember me, but I certainly <laughs> remember you when I met you on the White House lawn. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> so cool. It's funny how things come full circle. Mm-hmm. So when your father was transferred to the D.C. area in the late 70s, I believe, and, and you moved to Northern Virginia for high school, which I'm sure was a bit jarring for a New Yorker, a little bit of the South. Uh, what were your educational and extracurricular activities and interests, and how did that help shape your early educational decisions? Yeah, as you said, we did move to Northern Virginia when I was in high school, and, and the region was very different than it is today. I mean, it was, it was very um, Southern. You know, at, at that point in my life, I was a New York kid who loved New York City and the New York Yankees, and Northern Virginia in the 1970s was very different than it is today. Not, not good or bad, but just very different. And it did take some adjusting for this New York kid to fit in. Uh, but I was fortunate to play both football and baseball and quickly uh, you know, made a lot of new friends. Um, yeah, I was a very serious student in high school and also continued my love for team sports. Um, I was fortunate to play on some really great high school football and baseball teams for really great coaches. Um, this included a trip to the state championship football game my senior year where we lost uh, a, a close game to the Hampton Crabbers that went 14-0 that year and just had a fantastic team. Um, you know, Probably the most important thing that happened to me during high school was meeting my future wife, Elaine, who was actually my high school biology partner. Uh, she loved biology and coming up frogs and things like that. I did not, so I was happy to have a biology partner that did that. You know, 45 years later and after almost 38 years of marriage, uh, you know, we've now been blessed with four children and a grandson, but that was the best thing that came out of high school was wow. my future one. Todd, not many people are going to have the story of, hey, where did you meet your 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 better half? Well, we fell in love over dissecting frogs. Yeah, well, we, we, we did all the love, but she did all the dissection because I had absolutely no interest in doing it. 
That's fantastic. I, you know, you, 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 doing what you did at 13 years old, uh, you know, preserving that, that piece of your city. And then you mentioned earlier just uh, the, the, the interest and the rich political history at William and Mary. I obviously have a, had a proclivity for that at a young age, but I know that's certainly continued to be an interest for you uh, as, as the years have gone by. Tell us a little bit more about the progression of your education that kind of followed high school. Uh, you shared a little bit about what motivated you, at least at a young age, to, to have interest in William & Mary. But was there anything else that kind of motivated you or, or, or pushed you to, to, into the decision to, to go to W&M? And then maybe you know, later Georgetown Law and then beyond that. Sure. Yeah, I was fortunate to be recruited to play football in college um, by several schools. And, and I did earn a full scholarship to William & Mary to play football. You know, in addition to falling in love with the campus during my eighth grade field trip to Williamsburg, uh, my dad's influence, his strong emphasis on the importance of education and being a true student athlete weighed very heavily on my decision to attend William & Mary rather than some other schools where athletics were, were probably more important than academics. So I initially had a list of schools that I was interested in, and he kind of revised that list. And instead of these schools recruit you, I would be very supportive of you attending one of those schools because I really want you to make sure you focus on on academics and you know, use your athletic ability and the, and the chance to get a full scholarship to go to a really good academic school that balances and really emphasizes the importance of, of academics uh, with athletics, but not you know, instead of athletics or instead of academics. So that was very important. Um, you know, after my junior year at William & Mary, I interned for then U.S. Senator Paul Tribble. And as you know, I've always been interested in government and politics, and I really did enjoy that internship. The Tuesday after I graduated from William & Mary, I actually started a position as deputy policy director for uh, Wyatt Durrett's campaign to become governor of Virginia. Fun little aside, Wyatt Durrett's son actually wrote most of the, writes most of the lyrics for the Zach Brown band, so there's a fun little side there. Um, <laughs> uh, but Wyatt Durrett, he, he, he lost the election to then a, a Virginia Attorney General Jerry Belisles uh, in the general election and kind of in a kind of full circle, you know, ironic twist of fate. Uh, Governor Belisles would become a, a really good friend of mine um, over the years until his passing a few years ago. So I worked for his opponent and uh, we became great friends. And Governor Belisles always said I was just young and immature, didn't know better, um, which was kind of fun. But um, after uh, the internship and starting my business career, I actually went back to Georgetown University for law school while I was working full time at my first company, BDM International. You know, I worked every day. I attended classes four to five nights a week and on Saturdays. And it was a grind uh, for four years, but I really did enjoy my time at Georgetown and, and made some you know, lifelong friends while, while I was there. The, uh, let, me, let me pull on the thread. Uh, you mentioned BDM and, and the, the kind of the start of your professional birth, if you will. Talk a little bit more about the trajectory of your professional career. And, and Todd, if you can, and share some pivotal moments that led you from one role to the next. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'll talk more in detail, but everything I've done in my career has had some connectivity to something that happened before, some person or or something that related. So I think that's, that's I've always found that kind of interesting. I think very feel very fortunate about that. Um, you know, my career really did all start because of that internship for Senator Tribble, and the person who was in charge of the intern program was a former William & Mary grad, uh, Bill Mims, and Bill would go on to be the Attorney General of Virginia and a member of the Virginia Supreme Court. He liked athletes that played at William & Mary. He, I think having gone to school there, he knew it wasn't easy to be an athlete and, and also uh, somebody you know, who, who really cared about academics as well. So he picked me for that internship and we have a, a great friendship to this day. 
you know, during that internship, during that summer, I did a research project for Senator Tribble State Director. Uh, her name was Judy Peachy. And Judy Peachy was one of the first women nationally to run a U.S. Senate campaign. She ran the U.S. Senate campaign for Senator John Warner and then the campaign for Senator Paul uh, Tribble. Both were successful in getting elected. After Durant lost the gubernatorial election, it was Judy who actually told me about the opening at BDM International, uh, a technology company headquartered in Tyson's Corner, Virginia at the time. I interviewed um, and got the job working in the general counsel's office for George Newman, an executive who led the company's government and regulatory affairs work. So that's how I got my first job. Um, I spent the next 13 years working at BDM. It was a, a fabulous place to grow up professionally. BDM was one of a, a very small number of companies that, that was a publicly traded company on two separate occasions. Uh, the company, interestingly, was also one of the Carlisle Group's first management buyouts and private equity investments. And obviously that comes full circle later. Um, I was very fortunate to move up in the company and become a member of the executive team reporting to the CEO, first Earl Williams, and then Phil O'Dean until the company was sold to TRW in 1997. And and George Newman, Earl Williams, and Phil O'Dean, they they were great mentors uh, who really helped me as a young person develop as a leader. And I, I would certainly say I owe a lot to all three of them for all the great support and mentoring that they provided me. After BDM was sold to TRW and we completed, completed the integration process, I left to join BTG, another locally headquartered publicly traded technology company led by Ed Bursoff, um, someone I had met initially through the Northern Virginia Chamber of Commerce and who I'd worked with closely to help establish the Northern Virginia Technology Council in 1990. And um, you know, kind of going full circle or forward, both Ed and I would eventually chair both the Northern Virginia Chamber of Commerce and the Northern Virginia Technology Council. Um, at BTG, I served as uh, Chief Financial and Administrative Officer, and the company was eventually sold to, um, to Titan Corporation. Um, after BTG, I served as President of McGuire Woods Consulting and worked for Frank Atkinson, who was the same person I had worked for on the Direct for Governor campaign. So you can see the relationships and the importance of that. I was at McGuire Woods Consulting on September 11th, 2001. You know, three of my friends died that day. And I think like for many of us, uh, 9-11 was a seminal moment in my life. And for me, it really led to some, some real soul searching about what I wanted to do in my career. And I decided then that I wanted to go build a business and lead it as CEO. And I was fortunate to join with my longtime friend and, and dear colleague, Paul Leslie, to develop a business plan and, and get investment support from Arlington Capital Partners to build Apigen Technology Technologies, an information technology company that we later sold uh, to Kinetic, which interestingly was then backed by the Carlisle Group. Um, <laughs> after selling Apigen, I had a non-compete. I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. It ended up interviewing for a job as CEO of the National Federation of, N of Independent Business, or NFIB, then the largest business association in Washington, D.C. The search was being done by Corn Ferry and Lorraine Lavitt, who I had met when she was president of the Northern Virginia Chamber of Commerce then the Fairfax County Chamber of Commerce. So again, the connections there uh, as well. You know, I got to do some really neat things at NFIB, including working and meeting with members of Congress and governors and the president of the United States, then President Bush on several occasions to discuss and advocate for issues important to small and medium-sized businesses, including very importantly, healthcare. And um, this job did involve a lot of travel and with our kids getting into middle school and high school, I eventually decided to get off the road and look for a, a leadership role that required less travel. 
um, you know, given the work on healthcare at NFIB, I was really interested in the healthcare industry and received an offer from the CEO of the Innova Health System to join the organization as a senior executive. And I spent two years there before joining a private equity-backed company as CEO of Essentia, uh, also an information technology company with a strong focus on the healthcare market. And as you know, Essentia was sold to Maximus in 2015. After that sale of Essentia, I returned back to the Innova Health System as the CEO of the new Center for Personalized Health which included Inova's Cancer Institute, the Inova Translational Medicine Institute, and all of our clinical research programs. Um, it was a wonderful job, and I met and worked with some of the most talented, gifted, and committed colleagues that I've ever had the privilege of working with during my entire career. And it was really just a, I was very fortunate to be in that leadership position. It was really my two times at Inova, an interest in healthcare, that ultimately led me to my current position as CEO of Accenture Health, uh, a healthcare technology and solutions and services company that is headquartered here in Northern Virginia with uh, a global workforce of almost 3,000 employees. Uh, We are backed by the Carlisle Group, the same organization that backed my first company, BDM International, and also the the same organization that backed Kinetic, which uh, purchased Apigen Technologies, the company I started with Paul Leslie. And um, interestingly, the chair of the Accenture Health Board is Donna Morea, a very longtime friend, colleague, and a, and a great mentor to me, who also previously chaired the Northern Virginia Technology Council. And that's, I first met Donna back when she was at AMS, an executive there. She wanted to be president of CGI, but really got to know each other when she was the chair of the Northern Virginia Technology Council. Yeah, you know, I would say this, you know, throughout my career, I have been blessed with, uh, you know, really outstanding mentors, uh, including the ones I mentioned earlier from my time at BDM, George Newman, Phil O'Dean, and Earl Williams, um, Ed Bursoff, the CEO of BTG, Mike Daniels, um, a longtime executive at SAIC and, and really a true technology pioneer, uh, Milt Peterson, who built the Peterson companies. And then I mentioned Donna Morea, uh, my current board chair at Accenture Health. And, and these individuals have, you know, they've just given me enormous amounts of their time, their wisdom, uh, and really helped, I think, make me a better leader. And they've certainly been instrumental in whatever success I've been enjoyed in life. And I'm, I'm certainly incredibly grateful to all of them for their support. That's fantastic. You know, Todd, that a, a number of the well, all the names you mentioned are, are, are so many of them are considered, considered elder statesmen that have either, you know, they, they've all kind of exited stage right. But there are also countless folks who who consider you a mentor, you know, just talking normatively in the market. There are people who, you know, gosh, Todd gave me great advice. Or I asked Todd about this. When do you think that pivot happened where, you know, you had so many great mentors along the way where then you started to become the mentor to other folks who are now in the C-suite or in leadership positions across the market? You know, I, I don't know when, when that maybe that transition may have happened. I'm still getting mentored, by the way, by <laughs> my mentors. So I may be mentoring others, but I'm still getting mentored because I still learn something new every day and, and continue to learn. You know, again, that was something... Um, culturally that I was just fortunate to have. And, 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 these, and these individuals, I mean, they gave it a lot of their time. When I have, have had important decisions to make or, you know, thinking about career direction or, you know, whatever it is, personal issues, um, they've given of their time. And I, and I was, and they were very generous with their time. So I've tried to pay that forward. Um, if somebody calls me, even if I don't know them, you know, I'll try to, and, they, and they're looking for some help or advice, um, 
you know, I'll try to respond and, and, and be as helpful as I can because I had a lot of folks who really helped me in my own career and continued helping me in my career. So to the extent that I can, you know, pay it forward, I'm happy to do it because I benefit enormously from people who care a lot about me and who were great mentors to me. Awesome. And the more and more interviews we have with executives, I, I learn those transitional moments in most careers happen because of mentors and, and people who have helped along the way. So thanks for sharing those with us, Todd. Those are always really interesting for me too, as a, you know, still thinking about career and life. It's, it's good to, the transitions are really good to know and hear about. So well, one of the best comments somebody made to me is, you know, I will share with you the scars of my experience. So I tell people that said, I'm happy to share with you the scars of my experience and tell you what didn't work well. And hopefully you don't make the same mistakes I made. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we're all just still learning, I think, until the day we die. So, um, and I know that, you know, along with these transitional moments that impact our career, of course, there are obstacles and challenges and and uh, turning points. And I know, Todd, you mentioned your three friends that you lost during 9-11, all of which have, of course, influenced you in some way. But could you share some of those experiences with us at various points in your life and how they've impacted you? Sure. I mean, like for everyone, like life has its obstacles. And uh, for me, really, the first was when I was in high school, I suffered a very serious knee injury uh, playing football that required surgery. And then I re-injured my knee again. And things were different back then. When you had a serious knee injury, a lot of people didn't recover from that today. Fortunately, medicine is uh, so much better in, in having a serious knee injury, you can recover very quickly. Um, you know, I'd set a goal to play football in college and earn a scholarship is something I, I set that goal when I was in the eighth grade. I told my dad after a football game, I want to go do this. And at the time, I think I was about five foot seven and about 150 pounds. So um, <laughs> that made it maybe a little ambitious. Fortunately, I had good genes and I grew to be much bigger so I could play football in college. But after I, I got hurt, I mean, both of these injuries, one was very serious and then I, I got hurt again. You know, it kind of put my goal and, and dream in doubt. And, um, you know, at the time of, the, of my first injury, I was fortunate to receive a, a very long handwritten letter from a former Pop Warner football coach in New York. And he really challenged and inspired me to overcome my injury. And it, it came at just the perfect time because I was pretty down. I think I got hurt. I had surgery. Then I got mono. I missed school for a month. And, you know, I was kind of down. And, I, you know, whether or not I could play football in high school again or, you know, forgetting college was uncertain. But I got that letter at the, at the perfect time. And, um, you know, I was able to overcome the injury through a lot of hard, hard work and rehabilitation and uh, running stairs and, until I, you know, couldn't run them anymore and things like that. And I was fortunate to later earn that scholarship. And I will always be grateful for that coach's support. Um, he's living because you, you never know when you can touch somebody in such a meaningful way. And I was really down and I, and I got that note from that coach and said, you can do this. I know it's going to be hard, but you can do it. So that was that was kind of the first time, you know, on a more more profound way. Um, my younger sister um, suffered from depression at a very young age, and, and she later died by suicide. And uh, she was a, a beautiful girl, um, you know, a, a great sister, and um, you know, she had mental health issues, and she, she had depression. And uh, I think her death really made me realize how, at a young age, how fleeting that life can be. You know, I think of my sister every day, and uh, I am grateful that we are, are much more open today talking about mental health. You didn't talk about mental health uh, when she started with her challenges, but today we're much more open about that. And I think hopefully by being more open, um, you know, we can save lives um, and not have, you know, people have to go through what my family did when you, you lose a, a family member by, die by suicide. You know, the other thing you mentioned before, the deaths of my three friends on 9-11. And uh, it was hard because they were young. Uh, they had young families, young kids. 
And as I said earlier, it was a time of great reflection for me. And it led me to want to start, lead, and build a company with my longtime friend, uh, Paul Leslie. Um, you know, I think we're both incredibly proud of the company we built, Apigen Technologies, and, and the critically important work the company did for uh, defense and homeland security customers. One of the things my wife, I, I was trying to do something that you know, hopefully had an impact for my friends that had, had died, and my wife suggested, why don't you write a letter to their kids? And so I sat down and I wrote three long letters uh, to the children of the fathers who died in the Pentagon. It was hard to do, but I, I, to this day, I'm grateful to my wife that she asked me to do that because I think I was able to share with their then young kids and hopefully they continue to read those letters uh, year after year that uh, what their father was like and how much their father meant to me and how much of an impact they had on my life and obviously how much I missed them. But importantly, I know how much they were gonna miss their father. So I thank, I thank for my wife for having, you know, giving me that idea to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank you for sharing those moments with us. I know it's, mm-hmm. um, tough probably to reflect on and talk about. Um, so I really appreciate it. And, and, you know, discussing the way that it's impacted you and the things that you've carried from them. I know, like you mentioned, Todd family is number one for you. Uh, very important. So now that we understand a bit more about your background and what's shaped you and the things that you've experienced, tell us a bit about your family today. Well, I've been married, as I mentioned to my, my high school sweetheart, Elaine, for almost 38 years. That'll be in December. And I've known her for uh, 45 years since uh, she wow. was dissecting frogs and I was watching. Um, <laughs> wow, you know, congrats, Todd. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, she was much better at dissecting. She actually majored in biology in college. It was perfect for her, but not for me. Um, you know, in addition to being a, a, a really wonderful mom, um, she's also an exceptionally talented and amazing public school counselor. She went back and got a second, second master's degree when she was... Uh, 46 or 47 still raising kids and it was a four i think a four-year program got the master's degree and then went back to work as a public school uh counselor uh at the age of 50 and and i won't say how old she is because i probably get in trouble but she's been doing it for several (laughs) years and and again she's she i'm always in awe of what she does because what she does i mean I, i i'm grateful for what i do but you know 500 kids in the school and there's only one counselor so i'm i'm always impressed by what she does um we have four grown children and um, all four of them actually work in the technology sector. Uh, we were also blessed uh, when another young man uh, came into our life and family when he was 15 years old. And uh, he just graduated in May from Christopher Newport University. And he is about to start his first uh, full-time job in about 10 days. So he was the first person in his family to ever go to college. And um, we're just so excited for him and, and, and what he's been able to do and, and his career now starting just in a few weeks here. So uh, very importantly, we are blessed with a, a four-year-old grandson. And uh, I love being a parent of five children, um, and my wife does too. But I tell you what, the, having a grandson uh, is just the, the best thing in the whole world. So we are, we're blessed with a four-year-old grandson whose birthday wow. is this weekend, and his name is Brooks. That's fantastic. I'm sure you don't spoil Brooks at all. Uh, he is very, very sweet. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's great. We're going to pass on the tradition and make sure he understands hard work, too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, yeah, congratulations on, on all of that. It's very, very exciting. And um, I hear being a grandparent is very fun. So It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, easy, it's easier than being a parent because if things don't go well, you give them back to mom and dad. Right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, Todd, as you look back on your life and, you know, is there, is there, um, have you exceeded 
any of the expectations that you may have originally set for yourself or, or didn't know were possible? You know, I don't think I set a, a set of expectations. I think I've hopefully always been open to the idea that uh, a door is going to open and take advantage of it when that door opens. And, and certainly I've been supported by a lot of people, you know, my family, those mentors, um, you know, throughout my life. And I think any, again, any success I've had, I, I really attribute to some hard, you know, certainly hard work on my part, but the support of my family and the support of my mentors. You know, one of my mentors uh, did urge me, he said, you know, go live a life of significance. He said, if you live a life of significance, success can come, but really focus on living a life of significance and, you know, be a good leader, a strong servant leader, um, be a great teammate, be a great colleague, be a great citizen, you know, love your family. You know, I hope I've done that. Um, I've certainly tried to do that every day of my life and, and hopefully continue to do that going forward. Fantastic. Awesome. Todd, thanks for sharing uh, uh, insight into your journey. It's, um, I, I, you know, obviously in the market, they know, you know, there's so many that know Todd Stottlemyre, the successful CEO, but just hearing about your background and the twists and turns and the things that you've experienced really just serves to, to, it's an encouragement to folks. This didn't just come easy to you. This is something that you worked for. This is something that you know, you, you, you built a life upon that you engaged in. And so we always ask at the end, it's because there are younger folks listening to this and they want to know how they can get through a journey and get to a place where you are, you know, any words of wisdom for young execs or, or that next, the next generation of leaders that you'd like to share or that you want to share. So wisdom makes me sound old. So I'll say maybe I'll share, I'll share a couple of perspectives. How's that? Uh, as if I'm not sure I'm entitled to provide wisdom, but maybe a couple of perspectives. You know, I would encourage, um, you know, young executives to be lifelong learners. As I said, I'm, I'm learning something new every day, every week. Um, to be intellectually curious, ask a lot of questions. I think, you know, people ask great questions. I think you can judge somebody by the quality of the questions they ask. And also be strong um, servant leaders where they put others first. I would also, you know, just my own career, I would strongly urge them to seek out strong mentors who will help them grow and develop as leaders and who very importantly will also give them, you know, candid feedback and advice. I, I found that to be invaluable. Uh, people who care enough about you that feel that they can give you very candid feedback and advice to help you become a stronger leader and hopefully be more successful in whatever you're doing. You know, these mentors, what I like to call them, my personal board of directors, you know, as I said, they've been instrumental in my career. Uh, they've been important to um, my progression. They've, they've been there to support me in good times and difficult times. And I'm grateful for that. I would say very importantly, I would urge these younger executives. Um, you know, one of my favorite phrases is that life is not a dress rehearsal. Um, there are no practice rounds. I would encourage them to be their, their best authentic self, to be empathetic, and also be open to the uh, sometimes unexpected doors that, uh, that will open in front of them that they did not expect. That certainly happened to me. And uh, you, you, know, you have an opportunity to take advantage of that or make a choice or not. I think finally, I would say, you know, another thing I like to say, it wasn't my original thought. Somebody actually said this to me, and there's a, there's a nice kind of poetry about this, but yeah, I would urge them and encourage them to remember their dash. And uh, I've taught at a couple of business schools. And I always finish with this. And they look at me and say, what the heck are you talking about? Remember your dash. And I said, well, there are two dates on either side of the dash. And there is certainty about both of those dates. Um, to the left will be the year that you were born. And to the right will be the year you die. And, and your dash is really your life. And 
and what do you do with that dash? And I was always encouraged to, you know, make it a life, not only of success, but more important, a life of significance. And I'm still trying to do that. And I would certainly encourage them to do that as well. That's fantastic advice, Todd. Thank you. Beautiful note to end on. And um, Todd, thank you again so, so much for sharing your story with us, these impactful and influential moments in your life, um, and for joining me on today's show. I really appreciate it. And Mark, thanks so much for helping me host. It's been really wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Like what you hear? Make sure to subscribe to Humble Beginnings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and get notified when new episodes are released. Thanks for listening.